only source of true delight whom I unseen adore unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more oh that I might love thee more you're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dies. Chapter 1, verses 1, 1 through 12. I, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass its flower fails, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This is the reading of God's word. Let us uh, pray together. Lord, we thank you for your commitment to us to do us good as our our God, that you call yourself our God and, and we your people. We thank you, Lord, that whereas we were not a people, now we are a people. That you have claimed us for yourself. You, you call us holy. We hardly know what to do with that. We, we don't think of ourselves as saints, but you call us saints. You call us the holy ones to designate that we are now separated for you, that we don't belong to anything or anyone else. We don't belong to this world, the world in rebellion against you. We belong to God. And Lord, this is your action, your initiation in our life. For as Paul says, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you raised us to new life. Lord, you had to break in and reveal the glory of Jesus, else we never would have seen your beauty and never would have trusted you. We thank you, Lord, that this love for us to draw us to yourself goes back before time, that we're, we're told that you chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that you loved us even then. Lord, 
it's hard hard to get our minds around that you've always been and then you've always always had us on your heart <clears throat> you've never not loved us and it would only follow that then in time that you would send your son to die for us and that you would draw us to yourself to have us. We praise you, we rejoice in you, that you have done this great thing in us. And we trust you, Lord, that as Paul says, you who begun a good work in us will continue it to the day of Christ Jesus. We rest in you that God himself is working in us that which is pleasing in his sight working in us to will and to do for his good pleasure. Lord, that as Jesus said, as we trust in you, Lord Jesus, that rivers of living water will flow from our innermost being. As Paul says, we have a new self now that we put on. We cast off the old life that we once had as we were in darkness. We thank you for this new life in Christ. We thank you for the hope of it. We thank you that it issues in a new life forever, that there is abundant life here and final, completed, abundant life in the new heavens and the new earth. And, Lord, that nothing will ever separate us from your love, that everything is a function of your love in this world. Everything must serve you and therefore serve our good, the good of growing us in Christ, of conforming us to Christ, making us instruments in the hand of Christ, causing us to know you more and to trust you more, to bring more praise to you. Lord, nothing will interfere with that. For you have prepared good works. Before the foundation of the world, Paul says, that we should walk in them. You have prepared and fixed that we would walk in new love, that we would love our wives and our husbands and our children and our parents and our brothers and sisters and our neighbor. Oh, Lord, you you bring this about in the salvation of your people. And so we, we pray that you'd forgive us in so many ways that we have not lived out this new life. And we rest in you that you will continue to bring these things about in our lives. And to that end, Lord, that you would bring about in our life this enduring faith that James speaks of, and this rejoicing in the face of terrible things that may happen to us, the realization of the blessedness of those who continue in trial. Lord, our hearts fixed upon this crown of life, always resting in you, expecting you to to do good things to us, to bring wisdom to us. Oh, Lord, bless us, even now as we study these things, as we look into your word, that this word would be blessed to our understanding, to our obedience, Lord, that we would submit to it and gladly embrace it and live it out. Bless us to that end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. James is a uh, we're, we're by the way going to study James uh, from now till uh, probably Thanksgiving and so 
jumping right into this first chapter, you'll find that James reads in some ways like the book of Proverbs in that there are so many weighty, uh, we call them aphorisms, statements that are remembered uh, by so many people, statements about how to live, how to think, uh, how to regard God, how to regard one another. And so it's a rich a treasure store of instruction. Uh, I remember one preacher years ago saying something like this, that James is like a dentist. He comes in and he says, this may hurt a little. Okay, And sometimes you have that feel with James because he's just going after character again and again and again. It's very convicting in that regard. But his, his goal, his effort is to see faith in all of its beauty shine forth in your life. He, he, he wants faith to exhibit itself, this rich faith in the one he calls, he calls himself the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants that servanthood, that rest and trust in him to blaze with beauty in every part of your life. And so that's really the heart of what James is about. And he, he jumps right in to speak about this faith blazing in the most difficult times. So we start uh, in perhaps the, the, the hardest part of faith uh, when he says, count it all joy when you meet trials. Now we'll look at this passage as a whole, now, it was my mistake that I didn't have verse 12 in there, but I want you to think about this passage as beginning and ending with this subject of trial, because he begins, verse uh, 2, when you meet trials of various kinds, and then verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Okay, so this whole section, you could put trial on top of it, and everything in it is related to living in the midst of trials. It's not as though he gets verses 2 through 4, talks about trials and says, okay, that's what I have to say about trials. Hey, how about wisdom? Let's talk about that. And then let's talk about the poor, you know, as these are just di- different unspecified or uh, unrelated uh, topics. But they all have to do with this same thing. Because he speaks of enduring trials in verse uh, 2. Uh, or verse, verse, yeah, yeah, verse 3 actually says produces steadfastness or the word endurance. Well, that same word is verse 12. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. Same word for trial, same word for endurance. And then there's this common thread, count it all joy, and then verse 12, blessed. Okay, So joy and blessedness frame this whole discussion about the difficulties of life, the many difficulties, the varied trials that we encounter. Uh, this word is used to uh, people falling among thieves or a ship hitting a reef. So uh, they come at us in so many different ways and in so many different kinds. And, and under all of these many varied trials of any sort and any kind, he has the audacity to say, count it all joy. Our first point is just going to be joy and maturity in trials. And then we're going to talk about prayer and wisdom in trial. And then finally, 
a blessing and life in, in trial. But count it joy. Count it a happy situation when you find yourself in difficulty. The occasion for joy or the, uh, to, to recognize the blessedness to which this leads. That's the feel of this passage. And you could translate it altogether, count it altogether joy. Or NIV has pure joy. Only joy, nothing but joy, one translation has. Or another, just great joy. And, you know, you reserve that kind of reaction to, honey, I got this gigantic raise today. I didn't have any idea I was going to receive it, you know. Count it all joy, right, (laughs) when you receive such a raise. Or count it all joy when you get this fantastic job after a long wait between jobs. Count it all joy when you make this wonderful person you feel like you've been waiting for your whole life. And they love you just as much. You count it all joy when that loved one comes back from Iraq or Afghanistan. Right? I mean, that's when you count it all joy. We know those occasions. But he says, count it all joy when you encounter any kind, trials of various kinds. It means it, that's inclusive, right? No matter what hits you, how it hits you, that ultimately you're to count it all joy. Now, this is not to say that you don't grieve, <clears throat> that you don't cry, that you don't feel the stress and pain and pressure and heat and, and uh, difficulty of these things. that you somehow are oblivious to these things. There is something in a trial that means something you like has been taken away. Something you don't like has come to you. There's no doubt about it. That's that's what a trial is. It's a difficulty uh, that brings something, some weight on your life, some pressure, some fear, some personal limitation, uh, something that is hard, hard on you. And whatever that is, he calls it a trial and he names it in the next verse as a testing of your faith. A testing of your faith. Now, this joy is related to Paul's statement about joy. And just like you to think about this a minute. In Philippians 4.4, Paul says as much when he says, rejoice in the Lord Everybody together? Always. That would include, would it not, (laughs) trials, right? In every, any and every circumstance, rejoice in the Lord always. And then Paul repeats it. Again, I say, like he slaps us almost. No, 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 I'm serious. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't miss me here. Don't think I'm, uh, this is light. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. And the point of Paul's exhortation is that my joy is in him. He's the specific object of my joy. That who he is, what he has done for me is my joy. And I'd say that for James, he's saying, take joy in what God is doing in this trial. So it, again, is rejoicing in the Lord, but perhaps it has that nuanced rejoicing in what God is doing in your life. 
through trials. And of course, we can only have this joy if we believe in the sovereignty of God, number one, and the goodness of God, number two. Number one, that God really is in control of everything in my life, that his hands are on me and his hands are all over this circumstance. And that he has a good purpose for me in this circumstance. That's the only way that I can count it all joy. The word uh, knowing here can really has a, a, a command aspect. It has an imperative feel about it. So you could read it, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Okay? has that feel about it. So you need to understand this, that the testing of your faith brings endurance. Or you could put it in the negative and say, don't ignore that this testing brings about endurance. Don't fail, don't refuse to acknowledge that this testing brings about endurance. Because sometimes... We don't want to think about what it is. We just want to think about the pain of it. We'll think about the deprivation that I'm going through, the fear that I have, rather than to back off and say, no, God has a great and undying purpose for me to bring about something in my life because of this. And it's interesting that he calls the trial a testing of faith. When you fall into various trials... And then he just doesn't name trial again. He just says, you know that the testing of your faith, it's a different word, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So a trial is proving or putting the heat to your faith uh, like we do with metal to purify it. So it's a way to train your faith, to put faith through the paces, to put weight on the bar for faith to lift, so to speak. To put faith under pressure and stress, to give faith a workout. Okay? So that's how we're to understand when we face difficulty. And hopefully it can be just second nature to us, right? A difficulty occurs, our immediate thought is God is doing something good in my life. God is working in my life. God has allowed this and bringing this to me to create something in my life. And he says it's, it produces steadfastness, or we could translate it endurance. And we might ask, well, what, what kind of endurance? Endurance in what? Just, you know, not giving up, or does it mean, uh, and that's part of it, does it mean just keep doing uh, what I'm doing. What does this mean? Endurance in what? Well, it probably indicates this. This testing or proving in your faith produces a steady faith. It produces a, a regular, solid ability to trust in God throughout every kind of circumstance. It causes you to be able to rest in Him no matter what happens. And you can see how uh, in any training situation, they're taking people through all kinds of circumstances that they may face on the field so that 
they will be able to function on the field. And that's kind of what God does with us. He puts our faith through every kind of training, every kind of circumstance. And many of them are very, very hard in order that our faith, our rest in his goodness, our laying hold of his goodness, our trust in his goodness can just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So that we have more and more expectation of what God will do in our life. More and more joy in him. And knowing that this is the process that he is engaged in, we have great happiness in knowing that God is bringing about character in my life. Now, I think here's the hard part. Do I really care about character that much? That's a good question. Do, do Do I care about believing in God, being the kind of person who trusts him in all circumstances and and then, as we're going to talk about, manifests his character in all circumstances so that I can really have joy in this. Because that's, that's what he sets forth as the reason for your joy, that you're going to be enduring in your faith and then you want this endurance to have its full work in your life. You want it to have its, uh, to complete its project in your life, you see, to complete its business in your life so that you have a full and rich character. Uh, the idea here of, of uh, perfect and complete, perfect many times is translated mature. It, it's the end of a process. And then the last word, it talks about the wholeness. So you could translate it perfect and whole, uh, lacking in nothing in terms of the full character of God. You can see this kind of language in Ephesians 4 where Paul is talking about the body of Christ. He says, we all are to attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, literally to a mature man, looking at us, personifying us as a whole and say, we're, we're working to become mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So Paul defines it in terms of our character being like Christ. Or Paul says in Colossians 1, we're proclaiming Christ, warning everyone, teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we can present everyone mature, the the word perfect, mature in Christ, complete in Christ. And so to be complete in Christ, what is this completeness? What is this character that we're going for, that we're rejoicing that God is bringing about in our life. What's the content of this character? Because in the text itself, it just endurance, perfect, complete. But what is that? What's it, what's it made up of? I'd suggest to you that it's believing more and more in God's good purpose so that you continue to give yourself up to his will, whatever circumstance that you're in. And you'll see that your faith in God, because this is all a process of faith, it's a testing of your faith. It's interesting what he descri- how he describes it in verse 12. He says, this crown of life is given to those who not trust him, but who love him. Interesting that he equates this, that one of the, the process of believing in him more and more and trusting in him more and more and more of your circumstances That faith, that trusting him is the way you love him. 
You love him by trusting him. You adore him and honor him by trusting him. Because you're believing in his gracious character to you in spite of the evidence against it in your circumstance. So you're believing in the gracious character of a God who gave his son for you over and against whatever you may be going through. And your great love, your greatest love to God is trusting Him, acknowledging His goodness and believing in that goodness. When you believe in His character and His goodness, that's when you give yourself up to His will. Now, for James, when he talks about completeness of character, this wholeness, you get a strong feel from what James deals with throughout the whole of this book, this letter, uh, what he means by this completeness. For instance, chapter 1, he talks about not being angry toward one another, bridling your tongue in dealing with one another, speaking good words to one another, and helping the orphan and the widow. So first chapter is all about love. Okay. Second chapter, he says, don't show partiality to the rich. Love your neighbor. He calls it the royal law. He says, show mercy. And then he talks about faith that shows real love in the latter part of chapter 2. It's all about love and mercy in chapter 2. Chapter 3, he talks about the tongue and blessing God and then turning and cursing your neighbor who's made an image of God. That you profess that you love God and you're not loving your neighbor with your tongue. Chapter 4, it talks about quarrels and pride and speaking evil toward one another and judging one another. Chapter 5, he talks about ignoring the needs of the poor and grumbling against each other. You see, for James, it's the, the complete character, as he outlines it in the whole of this letter, is that more and more you would have all the features of love in all of its beauty and all of its richness. And that you would endure in loving others in the midst of all your difficulties. Now, I want to go over, this is very interesting as you do a little word study in the New Testament, with the combination of faith, endurance, and love. Okay? Faith, endurance, and love. Trusting Him, continuing, enduring to trust Him, and this being connected with love. For instance, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul tells Timothy, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance. List them together. That He thinks of them together as a unit. 2 Timothy 3.10, he says, You followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Patience is another word for steadfastness. So he uses two words along with faith and love. Titus 2, he's talking about older men. He said, they're to be dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, steadfastness. Again, okay. Revelation 2.19, John talking about uh, Jesus speaking to the church. He says, I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, your endurance. Now, this is interesting because 1 Corinthians 13 in defining love says... Love endures all things and believes all things. And we've talked about this before, but what Paul is saying is 
love continues to trust God in the midst of the most difficult circumstances and love continues to endure and pour itself out for others no matter what. Paul says that's what love does, true love. Love continues to endure and pour itself out and lay itself out for others in the midst of difficulties. He says it bears all things, it endures all things. Why, Paul says, because it believes and it hopes. It believes and hopes in God as it gives itself away. And so it's interesting that Paul can say in Galatians 5, faith expresses itself through love. My faith and rest in God ultimately shows itself in love. And so my building of faith, growing in the testing of my faith, brings about what? It it brings about an enduring love, a love that gives itself in any and all circumstances. And that's why Paul can say in 2 Timothy 2.10, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. See, I endure all these painful, terrible things, shipwreck, beatings, uh, lashes, imprisonment, all of these things. I endure because I love his people. And I long for them to know Christ as well. Paul lived this out. He lived out love, the enduring love in all circumstances. And some of the connection, I think, in this is believing in his love for you, first of all, that he forgives you and that, that he attends you and that he preserves you and that he's working for you in all circumstances. That enables you and frees you to love others because you're certain of His love for you. But you not only uh, believe in His forgiveness for you, but you believe in His good purpose for you. You believe in His command to love others will bring you satisfaction, that it will restore your humanity, that it will, will restore your purpose as a human being in life. And that finally, it will open up heaven and earth for you, the new heavens and the new earth. That living out this life of love is a glorious life. It's a life of nobility and dignity. Being like God himself, you believe these things, you see. You believe in his good purpose for you in commanding you to do these things. And so you give yourself away in love knowing that your life is going to be enriched by the grace of God through this. Not only will you do good for others and bring honor to His name, but you enrich your own life. And this brings the point of verses 5 through 8, that we this, this term wisdom is often misunderstood as... He's talking about this steadfastness, this perfection and completion, uh, the wholeness and richness of a life that's given up to God's will, that's given over to love. And then we tend to uh, cut verses 6 through 8 out and just say, well, if you ever need wisdom in making the decision, ask God. But you see, wisdom in this context, in the context of James, means something very different. In chapter 3, for instance... Notice in verse 17 of 
James 3, where he says, The wisdom from above is pure, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. It sounds like you could almost substitute the word love there. Love is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So you see, wisdom in in this context is praying for the very thing, the, the very love, the very complete character. Wisdom means living out under God this character. It means... In Proverbs, for instance, wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. It's this awe and respect that we have for God. That's the heart of wisdom. So when he, he's talking about this process, when you're in the midst of trials and you're seeking to count it joy and you're struggling to live out this new life, this life of love, ask God for that capacity in the midst of your trials. Ask Him for the capacity to have this wisdom from above in which in the midst of your difficulty you can manifest this peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, this sincerity and impartiality. So far from just asking just for wisdom to make a decision, it's asking for the character that you need in the midst of trials. It's asking for the remaking and renovation of your life in the midst of trial. That, Lord, as I'm going through this, may it have its rich and good effect on me. Oh, Lord, give me wisdom to live out this life of love and devotion to you in the midst of this trial. And the great news is God, (laughs) I love the way it's described here, that his generosity is described, really, it, it, the word has to do with uh, that it's unrestricted on God's part. It is, uh, there, there's no holding back with God. It has the idea of it's his exclusive preoccupation to do you good. It's exclusive preoccupation to give you this wisdom, this character that you need in difficulty. He will never turn away from that. And when it says don't doubt, it's not, it doesn't have to do with sometimes when you're praying you have a doubt here and there. It's talking about doubting this God's commitment to you. See? It's talking about a life that turns away from resting in God's goodness to you in the midst of trial. And sometimes, of course, we struggle with that. But even there, we ask, Lord, give me this faith. Give me this rest in you. Give me this uh, wisdom from above to live out this life before you. And, And God will give this with total concern for you with an exclusive preoccupation with your character in the midst of your struggles, as though he has nothing else to do but to give and to give again. That's the way Motir puts it. And so you should never, in the midst of your struggles, doubt God's goodness because you haven't done very well in your struggles, or because you fail left and right in your struggles. That has nothing to do with his generosity, his willingness to help you. The Lord will not hold these things against you. Uh, 
One hymn prayer is, look not on our misusing of thy grace. You know, Lord, don't look upon any of my failings. I just simply look to your goodness and your generosity, your preoccupation with my good. And so, Lord, even in the midst of my failures, I pray, give me that character. Give me this steadfastness to trust you and to honor you. And the instability, you see, of a life that's not resting in God's commitment to you. That's an unstable life. Because you won't be governed by the fact that Jesus died for me and I'm fixed upon that. I know his love for me. But whatever your circumstance is, it's, you're like a wave, you know. If you've got bad circumstances, it's going to be bad. If you have good circumstances, it's going to be good. And so you're a wave on the sea rather than fixed upon this. God is committed to me in Christ Jesus. And because of Christ, he has this preoccupation with doing me good. His mercies are new every morning. He is faithfully giving himself to me. It's like Hebrews 11.6. We must believe, the writer of Hebrews says, that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that seek him. He loves to bring the richest things into the lives of his people. And here the question is, will he give you character? God is infinitely willing to give his people this wisdom from above, this sweet character that shows itself more and more. And I tell you, there's nothing more amazing that I've seen, nothing more amazing than God's people to go through difficulty and to watch them become more and more like Christ in those difficulties and to actually reach out and love others in the midst of their suffering. What is more like Christ than that? That's exactly what he did himself. It's exactly why James is a servant of the Lord Jesus, as he says. And I think of this, you know, James actually was the half-brother of Jesus. He is the James of Acts 15, leading the church. He's famous outside the boundaries of the church. Other Jewish writers and everything talk about James. A very famous person, the brother of Jesus. And I can imagine for me, if I was uh, the brother of Jesus, you know, and introducing myself, yeah, I'm Darwin Jordan. Well, what do you do, Darwin? Well, I, uh, I, uh, well, I'll just, I don't know, I'll just say it. I'm the brother of Jesus Christ. You know, it'd be like, you just want to put yourself out there. You know, that's, that's who I am. That defines me. I'm the brother of Jesus Christ. But, uh, but James, even though it says in the, in the Gospels that he, along with his other brothers, thought that Jesus was out of his mind and they didn't believe in him, we read in 1 Corinthians 15 that the Lord Jesus appeared to James. I don't know why he singled out. I don't know why there was this special meeting with James, but the Lord Jesus appeared to James. It may have been at that point that he, he became not his brother, but his Lord. And he calls him his Lord here. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so James honors this Lord and is, you know, following this Lord because he saw this Lord's sacrifice for him. He saw his suffering. He saw his love. And now he's proclaiming that we live out that same love. And it's interesting uh, that we're called to uh, 
Paul actually says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the endurance of Christ. To the endurance of your Lord, who endured himself and suffered and and suffered beyond imagination, but he endured in giving himself up to his Father's will. And so Hebrews points us to him. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus who endured the cross. And so this all the more can encourage you, will God bring about this character, this wisdom in my life? Jesus exhibits this character and he's called me to be like Jesus, to endure as Jesus endured and to manifest this same willingness no matter what I suffer to give myself to God's will. And so I just close with these last statements uh, talking about the long-range perspective. He says that in verse 12, we will receive the crown of life. It's called a crown of life because it's like we will receive royal life, reigning life, unabridged life, richness and abundance and completeness of life, unmolested, unhampered, unrestricted life, glorious and splendid and extravagant life. That's the meaning of the crown. We'll have life in its richness and abundance with each other and before God and in a new heaven and a new earth. And for that reason, you see, the poor man can rejoice in his exaltation and the rich man realizes, I have nothing and my wealth means nothing. Absolutely nothing. It'll all be taken away like that. That is not my life. I must not believe in my greatness. I must not look down on others because I happen to have money on earth or power on earth. I am absolutely nothing except what I am in Christ. And the poor man can say, I am everything and have everything because of what I am in Christ. What defines us? The crown of life. (laughs) That is ours which God gives to all who love Him, which means all who continue to trust Him and to believe in His goodness, to believe in His commitment to your good in all circumstances. May God give us grace that we will manifest this character. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we go through so much. Our congregation faces so many things even now and will face things that we have no idea that will come upon us, that will befall us, encounter us. Lord, we pray that in the midst of shock and disappointment and tears and loss, whatever form these things will take, that, Lord, in the midst of them all, we will see the goodness of God, the goodness of a God who has an uncompromising commitment to His people, the goodness of a God who is preoccupied with doing us good, who has demonstrated it in Christ Himself and now is building that very character of endurance in us so that we, like Jesus, can manifest a love for others and a trust in God no matter what we face. Oh Lord, give us this grace 
that we may be a glory to your holy name. A pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away, won't you chase my fears away?